Hello, and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden issues an order blocking U.S. trade with areas in Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists. This, while President Putin says he expects sanctions no matter what Moscow does. World leaders are condemning Putin's recognition of Ukraine's rebel regions, and the West is now deliberating sanctions against Russia. Canadian lawmakers in the House of Commons vote to extend emergency powers. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says they're still needed, but conservative lawmakers disagree. And we take a closer look at labor unions. They're picking up steam at U.S. museums, and President Biden's recent executive order gives the unions more opportunities. We take a look at the pros and cons of Biden's order. President Biden signed an executive order on Monday. It blocks all trade and investment by U.S. individuals with regions controlled by separatists backed by Moscow and eastern Ukraine. Meanwhile, the president of Ukraine says Russia has destroyed peace efforts, but he says they're not going to give up any of their land. Biden's executive order blocking trade to the separatist regions comes after Putin said he would recognize them. The West quickly condemned Putin's decree. It recognized Donetsk and Luhansk as independent states. All this while Putin claims Moscow will be sanctioned no matter what actions they take in regards to Ukraine. Most of all, we are again being blackmailed by threats to face new sanctions, which I think they will impose anyway as our sovereignty and our military forces will grow and the grounds for sanctions will be found or just fabricated, whether the situation would be at Ukraine. Putin says he recognizes the independence of the countries that used to belong to the Soviet Union, but he says Ukraine is an exception. That's because he says Ukraine is being used by other countries to create threats toward Russia. Here, Putin refers to Ukraine's 2014 Revolution of Dignity, which pushed the country closer to the West. But unfortunately, we no longer see such strong cooperation with Ukraine after the coup d'etat. It's just disappeared. I want to emphasize that it happened exactly after the coup d'etat. Ukraine rejects Putin's statement and calls them a stream of propaganda coming out of Russia. Meanwhile, the Kremlin said that it hopes recognizing the two separatist regions as independent would help restore calm. Putin said Russia has every right to take steps to defend against what he calls new threats. He said Russia has the right to protect its security and that it would always preserve its sovereignty and national values. Meanwhile, over the border in Kiev, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky holds his ground and blames Russia for destroying peace efforts. Zelensky said Russia violated his country's sovereign territory and that there's a possibility the Minsk peace talks will now end. The Minsk Protocol seeks to end war in the Donbass region of Ukraine. Hey, there is no reason now for any chaotic action. We will do all we can do in the situation to remain this way. We are dedicated to a peaceful, diplomatic solution. And we will follow this and only this path. We are on our land. We are not afraid of anybody or anything. We owe nothing to anybody. What's more, a former diplomat, Ian Kelly, says Putin's recognition of the breakaway regions in Ukraine shows he is not interested in a diplomatic solution. Well, it's causing a lot of, uh, of angst uh, because, you know, after weeks of wondering what, uh, what cards uh, Putin w- w- was going to play, um, it seems that he, uh, he's not interested in a diplomatic solution. 
uh, he is uh, interested in uh, undermining uh, Ukraine uh, by uh, recognizing a big part of the um, uh, or carving out a big part of the of Ukrainian territory as, as uh, not under their uh, sovereignty. Since Moscow recognized the separatist regions, plans for Biden and Putin to meet may be scuttled. A ceremony is underway in Kiev today commemorating a fallen Ukrainian soldier. And what do residents in Ukraine's breakaway regions have to say about Putin's recognition? Ukraine's Honor Guard is commemorating a fallen serviceman who was killed Saturday by pro-Russian separatists shelling on the country's eastern front. The ceremony comes one day after Russian leader Vladimir Putin recognized two Ukraine breakaway regions. Following the event, the country's defense minister says he hopes Putin's move will trigger sanctions from the West. I hope that leaders of different countries, which promised us that the sanctions will be started after the invasion, mm -hmm. I think that the paper invasion began. On the streets of Donetsk, one of the rebel regions recognized by Russia, Putin's decision brings a mix of fear, hope and uncertainty. I don't know how good the decision is and if it will lead to peace. Now everyone is very worried. Everyone is being taken away from their fathers, brothers, husbands. In fact, everyone is very scared. It is very important for all of us that peace will finally come to our republic and to Luhansk. We want just peace and calm. Elsewhere in Kiev, residents watched live as Putin signed a decree with the separatist leaders. They believe that despite Putin's recognition, the eastern regions will remain part of Ukraine. I think this is total nonsense. This shouldn't happen because this is our land, not theirs. Not independent, our land. I think that most citizens also think it's Ukraine. That's crazy because uh, the diplomatic here is over. And um, what I'm going to say, that's crazy because we don't want a war. Putin's decision has paved the way for Moscow to send troops into these areas while claiming to be an ally to keeping the peace in the eastern regions of Ukraine. Russia's stock market is taking a hit amid fears of war in Ukraine. Analysts at J.P. Morgan announced today that they have downgraded their rating on the Russian stock from hold to neutral. The company said uncertainty has risen sharply after the Kremlin recognized two breakaway regions of eastern Ukraine. The move has heightened fears of a large-scale invasion. Yet a key question for the markets is the extent to which the U.S. and its allies will sanction Russia. While Russian stocks have since cut some losses, the rubble has also rolled higher as investors bet on the degree of Russian sanctions. Elsewhere in the world, Wall Street opened lower today, with European stocks also touching a seven-month low. But European markets have since regained some lost ground. Oil prices have rallied on concerns about supply disruptions, although investors are worried that stronger commodity prices will stoke more inflation in Europe. Deputy National Security Advisor John Finer told CNN today that Russia is mounting an invasion of Ukraine by ordering troops in the separatist regions of Lugansk and Donetsk. Finer said, quote, an invasion is an invasion, and that is what's underway. Russia's aggression is causing international backlash, and Western leaders are now united in condemning Putin. Sanctions against Moscow are also in the works. Here's more on that story. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin's recognition of Ukraine's breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine is drawing unanimous condemnation from Western leaders. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said Russia is violating international order. I gather just as I came into this press conference that Vladimir Putin has effectively announced that uh, Russia is uh, recognizing uh, the breakaway republics uh, of uh, Donetsk and Lugansk. Uh, this is plainly in breach of international law. French President Emmanuel Macron wrote on Twitter that Putin's move is an attack on the sovereignty of Ukraine. He has called for an emergency meeting of the UN Security Council and for European sanctions. Joseph Borrell Fontels, the European Union's top diplomat, says the EU's foreign ministers will decide Tuesday on the first punitive measures against Russia following a conference in Paris. This morning, we have already started to work on the draft, and this afternoon, the Council will decide on the sanctions we are going to take. The EU has repeatedly promised massive consequences on Russia's economy if it invades Ukraine. Outside Europe, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau voiced full support for the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Canada stands with Ukraine. Canada stands with its allies against uh, this aggressive uh, Russian uh, positioning. He said Canada won't recognize any attempts to autonomize Ukraine's rebel regions. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison spoke in the same vein. Russia should step back. It should unconditionally withdraw. Uh, back behind its own borders and stop threatening its neighbours. He added that Australia will side with its allies on any sanctions against Moscow. Britain imposed sanctions on three Russian billionaires with close links to Vladimir Putin. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said Russia was heading towards pariah status and that the world must now brace for the next stage of Putin's plan, saying that the Kremlin was laying the ground for a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Johnson told Parliament that five Russian banks were being sanctioned. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced today that Germany has put the approval of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline on hold. This is part of the first wave of Western sanctions against Russia following Putin's recognition of Ukraine's breakaway regions. I have asked the German economy ministry today to withdraw the report on the analysis of energy supply guarantees from German regulator. It sounds technical, but it's the required procedure so that there can be no certification of the pipeline now. Without this certification, Nord Stream 2 can't become operational. The Russian president's decision to recognize the so-called People's Republics of Luhansk and Donetsk on Monday is a serious violation of international law. The situation is unchanged, and what we are doing is to strengthen Ukraine's economic resilience by being Ukraine's largest financial stabilizer, and we will continue to be that. The Nord Stream 2 energy project aims at doubling the amount of gas delivered directly from Russia to Germany. Its pipeline has been constructed, but is not yet operational. It now awaits regulatory approval from Germany and the European Union. But the project has become the most divisive energy project in Europe, now facing resistance from the United States and Ukraine. One controversy is that the pipeline would increase Europe's energy dependence on Russia. German economy minister Robert Habeck said Germany's gas supply would be secure even without Nord Stream 2. But he also told reporters that gas prices are indeed likely to rise further in the short term. 
Canada's House of Commons gives Prime Minister Justin Trudeau the green light to extend his emergency powers. NTD's Jessica Beatty has the latest. Canadian lawmakers voted Monday night to extend emergency powers. Lawmakers in the House of Commons voted along party lines 185 to 151. Ahead of the vote Monday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said even though the protests have been cleared, he thinks emergency powers are still needed. We will continue to evaluate every single day uh, whether or not uh, it is uh, time and we are able to lift this state of emergency. But Conservative Party leader Candace Bergen says the emergency powers weren't needed in the first place. And Bergen says Conservatives are now trying to revoke Trudeau's emergency. Trudeau first invoked emergency powers last week to deal with protests against COVID-19 mandates and restrictions. The Emergencies Act allows authorities to declare no-go zones, like in downtown Ottawa, make arrests and tow away vehicles. It also allows police to freeze people's bank accounts. One conservative lawmaker described it as an attack on the freedom of Canadians to protest. Is that really what we're going to do in this country? That if there is a protest or uh, some sort of demonstration that this government doesn't agree with, they can freeze your bank account? One Trudeau ally argued it prevents protesters from getting foreign support. Canada's Senate must also vote on extending the emergency powers. If approved, the measures will last until mid-March, and the government can extend it as long as Parliament approves. Meanwhile, U.S. Senator Rand Paul told the Base Politics podcast that he thinks Trudeau's emergency is dangerous. We have the same sort of statutes here, and I've long time been an opponent of these. We actually have in the United States an emergency act that allows the president to shut down the Internet. Senator Paul said once there's an emergency, the president can just renew it every year. He said there's no real stopping it. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Truckers across the country will be leading the way in a convoy to protest pandemic restrictions, which they are calling excessive and unconstitutional. The national organizer of the convoy speaks with Steve Lance, who is the host of NTD's Capitol Report. The People's Convoy will leave Barstow, California on Wednesday, February 3rd. Organizers say they plan to arrive in Washington, D.C. by early March, around the time of President Biden's State of the Union address. The national organizer, Maureen Steele, tells NTD that this is America's answer to the Freedom Convoy protests in Canada. Um, the trucker's uh, declaration was written a couple weeks ago, and that's gone around um, on the Internet. Um, with the demands of what the truckers want and, and what the American people want. Um, we want the, the emergency, uh, the state of emergency lifted. We want our constitution to reign supreme and we want accountability. The Canadian government has been cracking down on the protests over the past few days. Steele says her convoy tried to learn from what happened in Canada and they have been engaging with local municipalities and police along their route. We also have lawyers um, on board that are helping us to um, make sure that we're within within the law as we're rolling through, um, you know, entering small towns or as we go through small towns to make sure that we're welcome there. We're trying to stay uh, rolling and moving, um, marshalling on private property instead of um, public property or city-owned property. I think that is one of the issues that they had up in Canada. Steele says they are taking precautions but don't know what the government will do. And she welcomes everyone to join the convoy along its route. 
and people are welcome to join the convoy at our marshalling points and even just ride for a day. So if you can only ride for a day or ride for a couple hundred miles, join the convoy. Come and show support um, and celebrate freedom with your fellow American. U.S. Capitol Police say they are aware of the convoy and they will be monitoring and preparing for extra security with other law enforcement agencies. The police force is considering reinforcing fences around the Capitol building but hasn't made a decision on it yet. Allison Lee, NTD News. Union workers locked out of their jobs at an Exxon oil refinery in Texas have voted to accept a contract offer. About 600 steelworkers have been locked out of work for nearly 10 months now. But they have agreed to a key company demand. Exxon will now have the right to determine plant assignments for workers. Previously, a quarter of assignments were determined by worker seniority. Exxon said it was thrilled by the vote, adding that employees would return to work as soon as safely possible. A steelworkers union representative says membership decided to accept the offer after a 10-month fight. The union intends to continue with an unfair labor practices complaint. It alleges Exxon imposed the lockout to force removal of the union. Before workers can come back, the two sides must negotiate an agreement that sets rules for returning employees. The refinery produces almost 370,000 barrels of oil per day. The 600 steel workers were replaced with managers and temporary workers after the May 1st lockout. And speaking of unions, museums across the country are seeing a rise in collective bargaining, according to the New York Times. And Starbucks employees are trying to organize, but with some pushback from the company, according to The Hill. And of course, recently, President Biden issued an executive order granting unions the contract to federal projects above $35 million. Here to give us some insight on this is David Schein. He's the president of Claremont Management Group. Schein analyzes how the order relates to the strike in the MLB, major job conditions at the worksite, and to start, what the order means during this period of high inflation. One of the issues with uh, requiring union contracts for these federal uh, business uh, contracts is that they can be inflationary, and the timing of it is very questionable. Uh, Biden's been in office for almost 14 months, and he did a lot of things right after he was elected, but he picked February 3rd to announce that he was signing this thing. I think he actually signed it on a day or two later. And the problem is, is that we have surging inflation. And uh, the other thing that he said when he put this thing in place was that it was going to speed up construction because as you know, many contracts, many situations have resulted from labor and material shortages, but awarding union contracts is the exact opposite of speeding things up in most cases. So let's look at the pros and cons of this. Do you think these project labor agreements will make working conditions better on these federal projects? Well, that's, of course, the, the union's argument. And the, the thing is, is that because the United States is so regulated today that in the past, and we're talking the distant past, when the union heyday was from the 1930s to the 1960s, there were a lot of problems in the workplace and the unions definitely helped employees. Today, only 10% of the private sector workforce is unionized. And I think that statistic by itself tells you a great deal. We're a more individualistic society today. 
and we're a society where we're largely protected by a large number of regulations at federal, state, and local level. So the improvement in working conditions is uh, definitely a questionable issue. Well, there are certain terms in these agreements, like guarantees against strikes, lockouts, similar job disruptions. Do you think this is going to make much of a difference in terms of getting the job done? Well, the restriction on strikes is very important because, um, as you know, we're, of course, uh, already in a major strike of the Major League Baseball will not start on time because there's a, a strike going on there. But uh, and there's no picketing or anything because it's a it's a lockout. But in indeed, that is an advantage in some federal contracts that over uh, private sector contracts where the workers can strike, and sometimes that can have uh, disastrous effects on timing of projects and things like that. So the, that is an advantage. But again, the cost to the taxpayer and the cost of the contracts. It, it, it automatically inflates the cost of these contracts. Shine says the order will cost Americans more. That's because now the contract will go to the lowest unionized bidder, which typically is more expensive than non-union ones. At the same time, the White House says the order will improve contract coordination and improve, produce higher quality projects. The Internal Revenue Service has an alternative for the facial recognition program used to verify a taxpayer's identification. ID.me, the IRS's facial recognition vendor, has drawn criticism from civil liberty groups. They say the program could harm the privacy of its users. In a statement, the IRS says people can now do a live virtual interview with agents without the use of biometric data. For those who still use the first program, IRS officials say biometric data will be deleted once a taxpayer account is created. Police in Richmond, Virginia say 300 cars converged in an attempt to take over the city during the past weekend. Authorities said that the individuals involved wanted to block streets to carry out illegal activities. Richmond Police Chief Gerald Smith said that they came to do car driving tricks like burnouts and donuts and they were speeding. Police say the cars gathered in Richmond at around 9 p.m. on February 19th. They also stopped at several locations. He says they blocked roads and intersections and engaged in reckless driving. The Richmond Police Department spokesperson says police quickly put to an end to that and by issuing 45 summons. The drivers dispersed within hours. Smith says the department monitors social media and found information about the gatherings there. Officers estimate around 1,500 people were involved. One person was arrested on a felony charge of eluding police, reckless driving, and having an illegal window tent. His vehicle was impounded. Winter weather is causing big problems in Oregon. Nearly 100 cars were involved in crashes on Interstate 84 on Monday. As officers arrived on the scene, they could hear additional crashes happening behind them. Officials estimate about 98 vehicles crashed. Medical and fire personnel were called onto the scene. No word yet on the number of injuries. Interstate 84 was shut down while authorities worked to clear the scene. The Supreme Court will not intervene in the case of a high school student who claims her school's COVID-19 vaccine mandate discriminates against her. The San Diego Unified School District is one of the few districts in the U.S. that requires children to receive the vaccine with no religious exemption allowed. 
The student filing the application has recovered from an earlier COVID-19 infection. Her court application says it's against her religious beliefs to get the vaccine. Lower courts have gone back and forth in their decisions on the constitutionality of the district's mandate. Almost two months after a law firm filed an emergency application to the Supreme Court, the full court denied it, following a change in direction from the school district. The school board voted earlier this month against implementing the vaccine mandate until the fall 2022 semester at the earliest. The Supreme Court's decision potentially leaves the door open for future action. New York police arrested a man for wielding a hatchet on the subway. Monday's incident in Brooklyn occurred when a man said the suspect charged at him and started to swing the axe. The victim was not hit. Authorities say the suspect also had a screwdriver and a punch dagger. According to a tweet from the NYPD, the suspect is being charged with attempted assault, menacing, and criminal possession of a weapon. Over the weekend, at least six stabbings or slashings were reported on the city's subway system. A 51-year-old fisherman was bitten by a shark on Monday. Here is video showing the U.S. Coast Guard rescue mission. You can see the crew slowly working to get down to that boat below. Luckily for the man, someone on the boat with him was able to bandage him up until help arrived. The Coast Guard hoisted him into their helicopter near Bimini, Bahamas, and then flew him to a Miami hospital. He is reportedly in stable condition. Just ahead, GPS-enabled beehives are popping up in California. Beekeepers are turning to technology to protect their precious colonies as hive theft is on the rise. More soon here on NTD News. AT&T's 3G network is shutting down on Tuesday. Other carriers are following suit later this year, and it won't just impact older phones, but also everyday devices you probably own. That's because a range of products require updates to continue working. That includes some home alarm systems, medical devices like detectors, and in-car crash notification and roadside assistance systems like OnStar. If left unaddressed, the stakes could be high in certain cases, like vehicle systems not being able to contact first responders after a crash. To avoid a disruption of service, businesses are urging customers to upgrade or replace some products and services before they drop connectivity. For a few weeks, beekeepers rent out truckloads of honeybees to farmers to pollinate crops. But due to beehive thefts, beekeepers are turning to technology to protect their precious colonies. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. The past few weeks, more than 300 hives were reported stolen in the San Joaquin Valley, loot that's worth tens of thousands of dollars. Sadly, people have gotten more into theft because the business and the industry has grown so much and people think they can make a quick, easy buck by stealing hives and putting them into pollination. Close to 400 more vanished from a field in Mendocino County, prompting the state's beekeeper association to offer a $10,000 reward. A few days later, authorities recovered the boxes of bees 20 miles away. One suspect was arrested. Sadly, beekeepers are the other ones, are the only people stealing bees from other beekeepers. Um, you have to have specialized equipment. Um, it's not something that's a random act. It's very calculated. So some beekeepers are starting to equip hive boxes with GPS-enabled sensors. Others are tagging their boxes with clear liquid only visible under UV light. 
It's very difficult for professional beekeepers like us to keep our hives alive, and it's become increasingly difficult, which makes the theft even more uh, catastrophic to our industry. I mean, it takes us over a year to build a healthy hive. And so when it's stolen from us, it's not something we can easily replace. The supply of bees has been dropping, and the cost to rent a hive of the essential pollinators has soared, jumping from about $40 per hive two decades ago to as much as $230 per hive this year, likely motivators for the thefts. The insects are essential for pollinating food crops and keeping agriculture healthy. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The U.S. has lifted a temporary ban on avocados from Mexico, allowing imports of the in-demand fruit again. And while the recent halt was brief, experts say the impact could still be felt in the next two weeks. Let's take a closer look. Avocado shipments from Mexico are once again entering American soil after the U.S. lifted an unusual ban. This is not something that I remember seeing um, in the last 20 years. David Magana, senior analyst for Rabobank, says that while the ban was brief, the damage was done. Going forward, obviously, uh, we will see availability of avocados declining and uh, temporarily we will see even higher prices. The ban was put in place after a USDA safety inspector received a credible death threat on February 11th. While it's unclear who was behind it, experts say avocados have become so popular that criminals often want to get a slice of the action. Avocados are one of the most lucrative crops in, in Mexico, and we've seen, that unfortunately, that, that there has been some cartel activity linked to them. Nearly 90% of the avocados imported to the U.S. come from Mexico. Magana says consumers could have trouble finding avocados and could pay more for those they do find at the store. A piece of good news is that uh, avocado production from California will be up 15% this year compared to the production last year. Magana says increased scrutiny on Mexican produce has been growing over the decades. A bird from Central and South America has been spotted in the United States for the very first time. According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, this bat falcon was captured on camera at the Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge in Texas in December. The agency posted two photos of the bird on Facebook last week. Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge said that based on its appearance, the bat falcon is believed to be a juvenile. The refuge says the bat falcon usually breeds in tropical Mexico, Central and South America, and Trinidad. Besides the Olympics, Chinese internet users have been captivated by another scandal. This after video footage surfaced showing a Chinese woman chained to a wall by the neck. The mother of eight was found in a small shed, sparking outrage and concern over possible human trafficking. Now, city authorities may be trying to cover up the incident. Let's take a look. The video generated nearly 2 billion views on Douyin, the Chinese version of TikTok. In it, a woman was found in an inhumane state, a reportedly mentally ill mother of eight children chained by the neck in a doorless rural shack outside her home in China's eastern Jiangsu province. She was found wearing thin clothing despite winter temperatures. Her case roiled China's public, with Internet users questioning how did the woman end up in chains in a rural village. Others direct suspicion at authorities after apparent efforts to cover up the matter. That's as after the video was exposed. Netizens found the woman closely resembled a photo of a missing girl from Sichuan province. Her name was Li Ying. Li was a sixth grader when she went missing in 1996 at the age of 12. Many netizens also recognized that the chained woman spoke in a local Sichuan dialect. 
In other footage, after the chained woman was unshackled, she pointed at the home where she was found, owned by her husband Dong, calling it a nest of jerks and adding the entire family are rapists. Local officials quickly released a statement related to her case, claiming there was no abduction and trafficking. They said the woman, surnamed Yang, had been tied up because of her violent fits. She married Dong in 1998. They had eight children. But thousands of Internet users rejected this explanation. Instead, they questioned how the woman had managed to birth eight children under the country's strict birthing policies, which restricted Chinese families to just one child up until 2016. Others noticed the woman's loss of teeth and the seemingly injured tip of her tongue. They asked whether she had been abused or trafficked. The discussions became so heated that social media platforms in China began to censor them. The account belonging to the original blogger who first shared the video has been deleted from Douyin, while accounts reposting it have been barred from publishing new content. But the incident took an unexpected twist after local officials issued another statement refuting their own prior explanations. They admitted that Yang isn't her name and said the woman's real name is Xiaohua Mei, translated as Little Plum Blossom. The name immediately raised new suspicions, as it doesn't sound like a standard Chinese name. Officials went on to say the woman reportedly went missing from another village in southwestern Yunnan province, near the border with Burma or Myanmar. Somehow she ended up in chains and freezing thousands of miles away from home. As for how she went missing in the first place, according to the official statement, she was brought to Jiangsu province for medical treatment in 1996 by a local villager at her mother's request. Once in Jiangsu, 12-year-old Xiao went missing. Both of her parents are now deceased. Periodontal disease has been blamed for her tooth loss. Internet users again took issue with the explanation. One apparent skeptic wrote online, why would a mother entrust her daughter to a stranger and ask that she bring the child for medical care so far from home? As for now, the chained woman who authorities claim is Xiaohua Mei remains hospitalized for mental health treatment. She's unable to take media interviews. Her silence has left questions swirling around her identity. Demanding answers, netizens in China have dug into the story themselves, among them the country's top investigative journalists. They managed to visit Xiaohua's hometown and met with a woman who has identified as Xiao's half-sister, her closest living relative. But she said she had yet to see the results of the DNA test authorities had conducted before they released their report. The woman stated that nothing about the chained woman reminded her of her long-lost sister. Officials in Jiangsu province are launching an investigation into the matter, claiming they will find the truth. But Chinese netizens don't seem convinced. The previous official statements, which Chinese netizens claim are flawed, appear to suggest that the story is far from over. Still to come, leaked data on account holders creates trouble for Credit Suisse. The bank defends itself over allegations that it gave accounts to human rights abusers and sanctioned businessmen. Viking boats on display in Denmark, a museum for the 11th century wooden ships honors their boat building tradition. Stay tuned to find out more. Three surviving sailors and five bodies were recovered from a Spanish powerboat that sank off the coast of Canada last week. All have arrived in Spain today. 
The three surviving sailors of the Spanish trawler's crew of 24 were greeted by Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez. Later, coffins carrying the remains of five crew members were taken off a military plane. The boat's crew of 16 Spaniards, five Peruvians, and three Ghanaians sank around 280 miles southeast of Newfoundland in the early hours of February 15th. The recovered bodies of four Peruvian crew members were transported to their native country. Twelve crew members remain missing. Canadian rescue officials suspended their search last Wednesday. Relatives of the victims have started a Change.org petition demanding that search operations be resumed. The Dutch antitrust watchdog is fining Apple $5.7 million. That's after the fifth such recent penalty the watchdog has given to Apple. It's over dating apps, specifically access to non-Apple payment methods for subscriptions. The watchdog has been charging Apple weekly fines of $5.7 million after the company missed a January 15th deadline to make mandated changes. The watchdog says Apple is abusing its dominant market position. It says the company is failing to allow software application makers in the Netherlands to use other payment methods. In blog posts, Apple says it complied with the Dutch ruling by allowing dating app makers there to submit a new app with alternative payment methods enabled. But Apple said it still intends to charge a 27% commission on any in-app payments it does not process. That's only slightly below the 30% it charges on those it does process. The watchdog says the percentage puts an unreasonable burden on software developers and does not amount to compliance. Credit Suisse faces fresh trouble. Over the weekend, a group of media outlets published the results of a probe. It looks at data leaked about thousands of the bank's accounts. The records reportedly go back to the 1940s. Among the allegations are that the bank's clients included human rights abusers and businessmen who were under sanctions. The leaked data was first given to Germany's Süddeutsche Zeitung newspaper. It shared it with other news organizations, including the New York Times, Britain's Guardian newspaper and France's Le Monde. Credit Suisse has rejected all allegations of wrongdoing. It says the matters presented are largely historical or based on partial and selective information. The bank says about 90% of the accounts in question are closed or were already being closed before it was contacted by the news organisations. Of those that remain, Credit Suisse says it is confident it's done all appropriate checks. However, Switzerland's financial watchdog says it's contacted the bank over the allegations. And it's just the latest headache for the lender, which has faced a string of scandals. Surging prices are inflicting what the Bank of England says will be the biggest single-year hit to living standards in 30 years. For some, like care workers, even just leaving the boiler on would drain her inflation-hit bank account. After work in the evenings, British care worker Nicola Frape turns the heating off and huddles under a blanket with her daughter and a hot water bottle. Adding an extra layer costs nothing, she says, but leaving the boiler on drains her already stretched bank account. Following a decade of stagnant living standards, Frape is one of millions of normally financially comfortable Britons who are now facing a cost-of-living crisis. There's just too much going up at once. It's all at the same time and people are feeling the pressure now. The pressure's just going to be even worse in April. So for days out or going out for treats, you know, cinema, going out for a meal, 
um, we've cut back on them now because you just don't know what you're going to need the extra money for. Surging prices are inflicting what the Bank of England says will be the biggest single year hits to living standards in 30 years. April is when energy bills are due to jump 54% to around £2,000 or around $2,700 per year per household, only some of which will be offset by emergency government support. Inflation is soaring. Britain's consumer price inflation rate is set to top 7% in April and tax increases kick in later in the year too. 52-year-old Jackie Gordon visiting this food bank in London says she often goes without food. Last night I went to bed hungry because I didn't have nothing to eat. Because I have to pay my bills, I have to right behind with my rent and I don't want to get evicted. The government is hoping the cost of living squeeze while sharp will prove to be short. It will spread some of the fuel price increase over the coming years and cut a tax for people in lower value properties to provide support through 2022. But some economists warn 2022 is likely to leave a lasting mark on poorer households, even if inflation falls. Australia will spend about $600 million to buy drones and helicopters and set up mobile stations in Antarctica to strengthen Australia's national interests. Flying over penguins and glaciers in Antarctica over the next 10 years will be Australian-funded drones and helicopters. Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced the $578 million surveillance program today. It will put eyes on Antarctica to monitor everything from climate change to security concerns. It comes as China steps up its presence on the frozen continent. Integrated sensors and cameras will feed back real-time information, and four new helicopters with a range of over 300 miles will be purchased. Australia claims about 42% of Antarctica and operates four research stations there. A type of boat building is now recognized as part of humanity's intangible heritage. The tradition goes back millennia, but you can still see some of the ships in Denmark today. For almost two millennia, people of the Nordic region have been building clinker boats using the same basic techniques. Denmark's Viking Ship Museum is home to five 11th century wooden Viking ships, all built in the clinker building tradition. All five vessels were constructed almost a thousand years ago, just 12 miles north of the museum. Museum curator Triana Sorensen described the construction technique. It essentially means that they could build incredibly light and flexible ships, that if you take Viking ships, for example, that are kind of the zenith or the high point of clinker building, when you build this way, you can build with, and because of the way they split the wood, that's also very important too, that they were cleaving it out rather than sawing it. So you follow the fibers within the tree and it gives you a very light and very strong, a very flexible plank. Clinker boats were traditionally used for fishing and to transport materials and people. The tradition continues in Northern Europe to this day but it's more for festivities and sporting events. It really spread throughout. I mean, if you look at kind of Northwestern Europe in particular, that it's absolutely present within the Scandinavian area, but then you also see it essentially everywhere that the Vikings travel to. You have it in Britain, you have it in Ireland. And then also later, you know, because this is a tradition that has persisted, it's a kind of boat building that's still practiced today. So you see it quite predominant in North America. But it was during the Viking age that clinker boats found their peak. Vikings undertook large-scale raiding, colonizing, conquest, and trading throughout Europe even reaching North America. The light, strong, and swift ships were unsurpassed in their time. 
you hadn't had any ships, you wouldn't have had any Viking Age. And that's absolutely true. It is the ships that for us are the kind of main element of that period because without them, they would never have expanded beyond Scandinavia as they did. It would have been remaining at home within Denmark, Sweden, Norway, the areas we know today. Whereas the ships, it just literally made it possible for them to expand that kind of horizon to become a more global people. At the Viking Ship Museum, they build and repair clinker boats too. At the museum's nearby boatyard, craftsmen are repairing this wooden rowboat to get it ready for sailing season, which begins in May. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. They say life is a blessing, and no matter what you believe, there are ways to remind yourself of that bright side. Let's hear some of them from Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Stress and anxiety are at an all-time high. The problem is this can often lead to negative thinking. The majority of people tend to focus on what's not working in their lives rather than on what is. Let's face it, we flat out complain much of the time. It could be about marriage, weight, work or poor health, but succumbing to negative states of mind zaps more energy than implementing solutions. On top of that, the mind is a trickster, always on the go, often referred to in meditation as the monkey mind. But the sooner you befriend yours and get it under control, the happier you'll be. Here are a few tips to get you started. Number one, feed your mind daily with self-empowering audio or books. Here, flooding your mind with positivity is key. Make sure you feed your mind with words of wisdom on how to live an empowered and fulfilled life. Aim to do this for a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes daily. Find teachings that focus on pure positivity, from business leaders to motivational speakers or spiritual teachers. Number two, surround yourself with positive people. It's of crucial importance to amp up your environment at least one to two days a week. Find a group that focuses on empowerment, meditation, self-help, spirituality, and men's or women's specific groups. Look for anything positively driven that speaks to you. Meetup.com is a great resource. Number three, limit or eliminate news and TV. Refine what you watch and listen to, and you will see your mood lift and positivity increase. Number four, do positive things daily to relax. Invest 20 to 60 minutes per day into you. Engage in healthful practices such as working out, yoga, walking, meditation, sports, gardening, journaling, reading, or donating your time to a good cause. Number five, reframe your thoughts. Replace negative thoughts with positive spoken affirmations like these. I'm determined to create this job in a way that will be fun and supportive. Or, I will invest the necessary time to discover why my marriage isn't working, then do my part to heal it. Another option could be, even though they've diagnosed me with I believe I can reverse it. Despite, I function very well in life and feel better every day. Each time you notice yourself thinking unsupportive thoughts, do your best to rephrase them right there on the spot. Negative thinking is a stubborn pattern, especially if you've been doing it for a long time. Be diligent yet kind to yourself. 
Your mind can be your most powerful ally or your worst enemy. It's truly your choice. Today is a palindrome date, meaning the date in numerals reads the same forward as it does backward. It's 2-22-22, making it a lucky day for marriage. Las Vegas is prepared for a large turnout of couples. Another palindrome date came and went earlier this month. That's because this year, February 2nd, reads 2-2-22. But today is even luckier, so Las Vegas is expecting a large amount of couples to show up and get married. The city is the marriage capital of the world. Up to today, the city will also let couples get married at its main airport. Another palindrome date was November 11, 2011, which reads 11-11-11. Clark County Clerk Lynn Marie Goya told CNN that on that day, the city had its second biggest day ever for wedding ceremonies. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.